Federal Drive is presented by GEHA, Government Employees Health Association, proudly providing health and dental benefits to federal employees and their families. Visit GEHA.com. Participants in the Thrift Savings Plan will see some changes to their investments starting in 2024. The TSP's iFund will be moving to a new benchmark index next year. That change comes after a unanimous vote of approval from the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. The new index marker will expand the iFund and should improve its risk return profile. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman got more from the TSP Board's Director of External Affairs, Kim Weaver. The board regularly does fund benchmark reviews about every five to seven years just to make sure that things haven't changed and that benchmarks are still appropriate for the statutory requirements and for our participants. And so this is something we've done, as far as I'm aware, the the length of the, the program. And we did another review this year and we hire an investment consultant and the investment consultant goes out and they look at the span of potential indexes or benchmarks, and then they start winnowing them out saying they're not appropriate for us, right? For other people, they may be fine. And so as they have in the past, they said that the benchmarks for the C, S, and the F funds were all good and shouldn't be changed. But for the I fund, we follow what's called MSCI EFA, which is Europe, Australia, Asia, and Far East. And when we first started that back in 2002, it was a pretty good representation of the non-U.S. equity markets. But as emerging markets have developed and emerging countries have gotten bigger, EFA only now exposes us to about 55% of the world's equity market. And so we are moving, and I'm only going to say this full name once because it is longer than anything, we are going to be moving to the MSCI All Country World XUSA XChina Hong Kong Investable Market Index. And I have to say the acronym isn't much shorter. The acronym is MSCI ACWI IMI XUSA XChina Hong Kong Index. All of which is to say that that exposes us to about 90% of the world's equity market. It adds in Canada. It adds in small um, cap stocks for both emerging and developed countries, and it adds in emerging markets. But as you can tell from the title, X Hong Kong, X China, it doesn't include those two localities. And let's go into the reason for why those countries were excluded. I understand this is something that has been on the board's radar for quite some time now. So why was that decision made? I think our investment consultant summed it up very nicely. And they said that operational complexities has increased when you invest in emerging markets, given the range of events such as the Russia-Ukraine conflict and the U.S. banning any investment in Russia. Then we have banned investment in certain Chinese, we the U.S., not we the TSP, we the U.S. have banned investment in sensitive Chinese technology sectors Certain Chinese companies have been delisted. So when you're in that kind of situation, that creates volatility and potentially performance return issues. And it also, to the extent that you have to disinvest quickly, you're going to most likely lose money because, of course, everyone else in America is disinvesting too. And so 
the reason we're not going into Hong Kong and China is because of the operational complexities as the investment consultant outlined. And just to be clear, because I know there was some controversy initially early on with the transition of the I-Fund in Congress and the Trump administration, White House, so that did not have to do with the decision to exclude those countries. It was more just the market itself. It was the fiduciary decision that our, our board made after reviewing the consultant's report and reviewing our staff recommendation No, it was not a political decision. They made a fiduciary decision based on actual information. And other than the transition of the I-Fund, I understand that the board also had its latest participant satisfaction report come out. What were some of the notable trends that you saw this year? Well, I want to give some background first. We do these annual surveys and they're run by Gallup as a contract to us. They are a snapshot in time. Then separately, our record keeper is getting um, participant feedback on a daily basis. If you do a transaction, if you take out a loan, you take out a withdrawal, you get a survey as to how satisfied you were, what issues you encountered. So the participant satisfaction survey is sort of looking at how participants felt macro-wise at this point almost a year ago. And then we're also getting the daily and they're both very useful. With that background, the most recent survey found that our participant satisfaction fell from 87 to 82%. You know, obviously we want our participants to be satisfied with our services, so we are taking that to heart. The other thing that I think was very interesting is that Gallup correlated TSP customer satisfaction with the market. And so When the market's doing better, TSP participants are more satisfied. When the market is not doing as well, participants are less satisfied. Now, that's not obviously the sole driver of participant satisfaction, but I certainly know that when I look at my balance and it's down, I'm like, "Eh." and, you know, you just sort of have an overall uh, moment. So what I'm trying to say, I think, is that the survey is a useful tool and we try and integrate all the data. And so, for example, Participants very much are driven by the security of TSP.gov. You know, again, we've got information about them. We've got information about their investments. They want us to be secure, and we absolutely want to make that happen. They want to have good information on TSP.gov. They want to be able to roll over money in and out of the TSP. And as we've talked about, I think, before, our new record keeper starting in June of 2022 started offering a concierge service to help people roll money into the TSP. Also, a driver of satisfaction is the annual account statements. So with that in mind, it focuses where we're we're looking. And then again, we take into account what we're hearing on a daily basis. And Kim, I'll just ask one last question of you. I know that you really closely track uh, Congress and everything that's happening with legislation that might impact the TSP or the uh, Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Is there anything recently that you've seen or anything that you're still tracking at this point in the year? Yeah, there's one provision that we are tracking. There's a provision in the Financial Services General Government Appropriations Bill, the House uh, version, that would say no mutual fund in our mutual fund window could be there if it made decisions based on ESG criteria. Again, as we've discussed, there's about 4,600 
mutual funds in the mutual fund window, they're Vanguard funds, they're Fidelity funds, they're Schwab funds. We have no control over them and we don't have the ability to police 4,600 mutual funds. And so that that is a serious problem and concern. And so we're just, as you know, the appropri- <laughs> the appropriations process is a little murky right now. So trying to figure out what's going to happen with individual bills, that's what we're tracking to make sure that people are aware of the concerns there. That's Kim Weaver, Director of External Affairs at the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board, speaking there with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Comstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you, great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect, so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences and that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Yeah, excellent. We're, we're going through a, a culture project at our work. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, it's been six months in the making, and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking. 
that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies, and we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human-centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're gonna go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or, or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent, new thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when as a leader that you've made a mistake? And what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so I've had to do my own self-reflection on, on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor. And I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency and I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had gone through the briefing, answered all the questions, and that leader then said, okay, I'm gonna go around the room and get everybody's opinion, and then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there, taking notes on the meeting, and said, go ahead, and I wanna hear from you. And I realized, in hindsight, I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way, and I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that, I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped, and I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted that she let all these people 
have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made, and I realized in my own sense I wasn't listening to very different opinions, and I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting, getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus? Isn't that a great title? I just love the title chief people officer and I think it's my dream job really to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture and what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful. So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with a intentional focus on culture because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth and um, engagement programs and listening programs, that's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would, in, would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions, expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going? Um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. 
This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure, either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally, that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, and I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank uh, you. Having known you now for seven or eight years yeah. um, and worked alongside you, uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues, it's. Uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.